Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated to helping you create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy, and you create it with your gifts, your skills, and your life experience. I'm grateful today to have John McLaughlin as a guest. Welcome to the show, John. Kellen, thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the show, so it's a true honor to be here. You are absolutely welcome, and I'm grateful we had a chance to chat for just a minute before we started, and we made it clear that you're not the guitar god, but nope. you are a John McLaughlin nonetheless. I'm one of many, believe it or not. There's a lot of us. The, uh, <laughs> McLaughlins all came over when the potatoes went bad, you know, and it seemed like they all named their kid John for whatever reason. So there's there's tons of us. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, one of the, the first question, <clears throat> I don't always start with this, but it's a good place to start because it's kind of unexpected. So I want you to wax poetic and don't be bashful, but I want you to tell me how John adds good to the world. Well, I found a demographic by pure happenstance of people that have tremendous potential and are getting no help whatsoever. Um, in fact, the system that they're in is doing all it can to continue to keep them in the system that they're in. Um, and I found that I have a unique skill set in that I could give them the information they needed from a business perspective. I could give them the encouragement they needed. And I saw myself a lot in them. So I never looked down on them and thought, well, these are people that uh, are total losers. These are total misfits. And what I'm talking about is the people that I taught in a minimum security prison. A minimum security prison. So that's certainly a place where people could have stereotypes and ideas and so forth. And based on what you just said, plus what you just told me ahead of time, uh, I know that John has developed a real love for this group of people. So tell me more about that and what you do with them. Do you still do that or is that something you did for a while? I got to do it for three years. Um, COVID shut down the program. It shut down all the programs in the prison. And so I had hired some guys that I met through the prison. When I first started, I said, I'll never hire a guy from here. I'm not bringing him in. But once I got to know him, I was like, these guys could really help. So I had a guy working for me from the prison. And he said, you know what I want to do? I want to help people that are transitioning from prison to, to real life. And I said, well, I did that for three years. He, he was at the same prison I taught at. I didn't know him there. But he said, I said, I've got the curriculum. I've got 100 hours of class that I created. Let's get together and do this. So we still have classes. They're on the outside now, which is better because we're not limited to just people that have done time. We can bring in people that are recovering from addictions or whatever prison they've been in, bad relationships, and get them started in the area of financial literacy, and then hopefully get them to into entrepreneurship. Uh, so just, we're just, I'm still teaching, yeah. Absolutely rock and roll. So back up. I interrupted you to interject the other question. And, and you know, we were talking about the first three years, which was the prison, minimum security prison population. How did you get there? And tell me what made you decide you loved these people? Well, I got there in a very odd way. I mean, start for starters, my dad worked for a company for 25 years. He started in the factory. My dad never went to college. Worked his way up to national sales manager through 
tremendous sacrifice, of course, to do that. Uh, he it got to be in his 50s. They do what a lot of companies did in that day. They had some people in there that were more interested in looting the pension fund than building the company. And they let his whole crowd go. The 50-year-olds were all out the door very unceremoniously. And he said, from that day forward, I will never work for anybody but myself. It just so happened I was getting out of college that very time, and he offered me a job to come work with him. And I said, nah, this is looking crazy. We're working in the dining room. We have nothing. Uh, this looks like a place that I'm going to invest two or three years, and then we're going to fail, and I'll have nothing to show for it. So I'm not the entrepreneur type. I'm not that big of a risk taker, which I thought was a risk at the time. But what I learned was the real risk in this world is putting your fate in somebody else's hands, as what he learned through 25 years of dedication to, to a company that no longer needed him. So I told him, I'll work with you for two years. That's it. Then I'm going to go somewhere safe. But obviously, if you get into the entrepreneurship, you realize this is not the risky part. I'm in control of my own fate here. Even if I fail, I can reshuffle the cards and go again. Um, and so that became like a very unlikely thing for me to happen, but I was in the right place at the right time. Took that little company from the dining room to $5 million a year in sales, you know, and hired the people to run it so that I had the free time. And along the way, I had to go back to school because I had become, uh, I didn't know how things worked. I'd fallen behind the technology. Uh, I was working for myself in a little cubicle. I mean, it was all by myself. Went back, I got an MBA and I was an oddity because the people in there were just climbing the corporate ladder. Me, I was just trying to learn how to work Excel and, you know, how to attach things to emails. But so they gave me the opportunity to speak to entrepreneurship undergraduate classes. And I loved it because here were some kids with some great ideas that were going down. They were about to make a big mistake. And I could tell them this is this. You don't want a 50 50 partnership. That's a that's a terrible move. You know, don't do this. Don't do this. I can save you a lot of headache here because I've, I've seen all these mistakes personally and from people I knew. So that's my second life. I'm going to go teach entrepreneurship somewhere for your college, community college. Get out of what I'm doing. Nobody would hire me. Uh, 50 years old with zero teaching experience. I can't even get an interview until one day I saw uh, an ad to teach entrepreneurship at a minimum security prison. And I wasn't where I wanted to be. Couldn't imagine myself doing it. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to at least apply and interview for the job if they'll let me. And they did. And I went to the prison and I you know, went through the gate, saw these scary guys standing around with tattoos, dreadlocks, wearing the uniforms. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to teach these guys? Then they show me the classroom and it's a dingy day room, smells like bleach. And they're like, well, there's no materials. We got a Dave Ramsey book for you. You know, this is a 99 hour class. You're <laughs> going to have to create everything. And, oh, and by the way, there's no internet. You can't bring slides in. They had nothing but a marker board and a, and a marker. And I was, you know, in my right mind, I probably would have said, thank you for your time. I'm going to go back and, and try to find something else. But I knew this was it. I'm 52 years old and they're not going to be any more opportunities. So I took it. And, you know, walking in for the first day, I didn't know what to expect. The guys really just clammed up. They didn't trust me. It took a long time to build the trust up. Um, but what I recognized in them was the same 21, 22-year-old kid that I was that had broken the law numerous times. And many times the difference was I came from white middle class. So when the police caught me and my friends out raising hell, they took me to my house and told my parents, watch out for this kid. He's trouble. Now, I see a kid coming from a different socioeconomic background. He's going to juvenile hall. They're not going to go look for his parents. You know, I was fortunate in that I was white, middle class, and uh, came from an educated background. Some of these people were in there doing, they did what I did. They didn't get the breaks I got. And that was not their fault. They just came from a different place. Uh, then 
So I could see myself in them that they'd made the mistakes I made. They were just paying a much higher price. Uh, you know, basically they got caught and I didn't is how I saw it. And, right, right, right. You know, and, and what you see from them is, you know, if they start out at juvenile hall at 16 years old, uh, their next step is big prison. They All they hang around with was other people that have committed crimes, so they get even better at it. Then when they do leave, they've got a felony on their record, so they can't get a decent job. So what are they going to do when their family's hungry and their kids need to eat? I mean, they're going to go right back to what they were doing. They've probably gotten a little better at it. This time, they're going to get a longer sentence. And before you know it, you know, they're 55 years old and they've done nothing but going in and out of prison since they were a kid. And it's a tremendous waste because they just don't know any other way. They don't think there's any other opportunity for them. They haven't seen it. Nobody's told them they could do it. Um, but a little bit of information and a little bit of encouragement. And it's amazing to see these guys kind of light up and, and be treated like a person again and, and be like, well, you really think I can do that? And, you know, it's powerful and nothing could be more rewarding. You forget about the money you made. You know, you forget about all that when you see somebody who's got the potential to do great things, but is not getting any help from anywhere uh, and just needs a little hope, and a little direction. I want to ask you a question. I want you to go on with the story, but I, I, as a coach, which is what I do, the podcast is a labor of love. As a coach, I I agree with you. People need a little information and they don't need a little encouragement. They need a little information, a lot of encouragement. There you go. Because the barriers, it's almost never that we don't really know what to do. It's that we don't do what we know, either because we don't think we can or we're sure we're going to fail or whatever. So I just wanted to anecdotally sort of put in there, I don't know, I think it's a little bit more than a little encouragement. I think it's probably 80-20 or something, you know, a little info and a lot more of encouragement. Uh, I want you to keep the story, I I want you to keep the story going, but I want to ask you a question. I know you said you created a successful business, you hired some people, it's making a few million, and it was running itself. What was it in John's heart that made him decide to go love people in that way. I mean, you could have said, I'm good. I'm going to party. I'm going to take some cruises. I'm going to work some hobbies or whatever. And people do, and I'm not judging. But there's something in John's heart that says, I want to go do this thing. Tell me about that. It's a great question. Um, I felt like I was young enough that I didn't really want to just go away. I had seen so many people that retired and quit bringing value into the system and hated it. I mean, I'd met plenty of people along the way that said, well, all they talked about was their retirement. Two more years, one more year, and I'm retired. Six months later, they were back at work because they hated it. You know, uh, I was, my mother's side of the family was all German farmers, and they they basically valued you from how much work you could do in that day. You know, there was no getting sick and feeling bad. It's hard work all the time. But I thought that I had the ability to do it and I thought my experience would come in very handy. And then when I started speaking at classes uh, through the MBA thing, I could see these guys that needed help and they needed encouragement, like you said. And I felt like I was the guy that could do it. Um, I think I'm maybe just a little weird in that way and that the, the possessions get a little stale after a while. I mean, another bag of money, what, what's it matter? I mean, what am I going to do with it that I couldn't already do? But to take somebody and change their future or improve their future is a very powerful thing. And I really think that's what we're here to do. Um, and I realized that they would give me 10 guys in my class in prison. I, at first day I'm looking around, maybe him, maybe him, maybe I got two this time that 
have the potential and the ability who could go out and do this, but still worth doing because his family is going to change and prosper from this. His children will get out of that cycle where dad's in prison and then guess what? I'm in prison. And I mean, I saw it again and again. So even if you can just help a few, you're helping their downstream for ever, basically. So I don't know what it is about me, but um, I think watching people develop and I and also paying back what I got, I got such good direction from my father. Uh, and a lot of people don't get that. And I really feel like I've been blessed with just about everything I ever wanted and more than I deserved. How can I pay it back? Hi, there's a there's a fabulous thing you said, a real gold nugget in the middle of that. It's a beautiful answer. You said, I think we're here to love and serve or something like that. You yeah. said, that's kind of what we're here to do. And, you know, it's funny because our bodies are built that way. Physiologically, we have, you know, fun neurotransmitters and good feelings when we're busy doing good stuff. And so we actually are built to serve and we're here to lift and love and bless and serve each other. And that's a foundational principle of everything that I teach and do. And I love that you're doing that and that you've made a choice not only to serve, but that you said yes to a potentially typically marginalized population and you recognize the downstream benefit. If you got one guy out of 10 who yeah. kept his kids out of prison and got them, you know, going along or out of drugs or out of wherever, because he chose to listen and accept your love and encouragement and go forward. You know, you've saved generations of people. So good on you. By doing one. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. When you go into a prison, I never been in a prison. I didn't know what it was like, but there's no women. There's no alcohol. I mean, there is, but not blatant. There's no drugs. These guys read the Bible or the Quran all day because they've been, all the addictive stuff has been taken out of their life. And they're at a point where they're ready to listen. A lot of these guys are looking at their future. And admittedly, some of them are looking at it and going, well, I'm just going to go in and out of prison. This is what I've always done. This is what my family does. They, you can't reach them. Okay, that's fine. They've made the choice. There's some guys in there that made a mistake and are real sorry and want to do anything in their power to not come back to that place. The problem in the prison is they treat them all the same. They don't separate the guys who are happy to be in prison to the guys who are terrified to be in prison. They're all in the same roof, wearing the same clothes, sleeping in the same room. So, you know, to be able to get in there and pick a guy or two that really, really wanted to change their lives and was really sorry for what they had done, whatever it may be. You know, and to be the one thing they had that they could reach out and say, here's a guy that says I can do it. This guy bought me a book on how to pressure wash driveways. You know, he believes in me. It's powerful. I mean, it is really, really powerful um, and very rewarding. You know, and, and to be honest with you, when I was young, I had forgotten this until I went back into prison. I was sort of into the drug dealing for a little while, uh, hung out mm -hmm. with drug dealers, made a few sales myself. I had forgotten. I had completely blanked it out because you don't want to remember that side of yourself. And and there was a time when I was doing terrible things that should have put me in prison at a time when I had no resources to defend myself. And when I met these guys, oh, that light bulb went back on and it was like, you did the same thing this guy did. You know, he's just in a different place now. And how different would my life have been if I had ended up getting caught at that age? I mean, forget the small business, forget all that stuff, you know. Different wife, different house, different everything. Uh, is there any way I can bring this guy back to a better place? Because I should have gone there. You know, it's like grace. It's like I got what I didn't deserve. Um, and and here I want to pay back and give somebody, you know, maybe what they did deserve. And I'm in a position to do it. So 
I love it. I love it. I love it. And everything that you've told me makes me love you more. So now you 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 said during the pandemic that that changed obviously because you couldn't go into prison and do stuff. So you did that for a few years, and then COVID happened in twenty. That shut everything down for two, three years, and then there was a continuation. So what's going on now? I tell you, it's funny. I had a the probably one of the sharper guys that I met in there kept asking, could he come work for me when he got out? He was a young guy, got in trouble when he was 17, got a seven-year sentence. He was, you know, turning 23, 24. Can I come work for your company? Can I come work for your company? Can I and I told him, no, I've, I've made this promise to myself that I'm not going to let anybody from here make any promises. And he wouldn't let it go. So finally I said, I'll tell you what, if you want it this bad, let's start out with you can come for six months. So he came in and he took my little $3 million company, made it into a $5 million company. Guy's incredible. Best guy I ever hired, probably. Uh, incredible job. Uh, he brings in a guy from the prison that I didn't know, and we're getting to know each other. And he said, you know, what I want to do is help people. Uh, I, you know, he did his time. The transition from prison to the outside world. And I think the way to do that is through education. He said, they, you're just not getting any help in there. And I said, man, you just sang my song. It was like fate brought us together. And I told him, I got a 100-hour curriculum. I got nowhere to teach. And he said, oh, I'll get you the students. And sure enough, we do classes now where he packs the place. He's a very strong motivator. And I get to do a little bit of teaching on the side, going back to the same, you know, what we learned is if you want to start a business, you better have your financial principles in place. You know, you better be able to save money because we got to do that first. So we work on personal credit, uh, building up a, you know, emergency fund, that kind of thing. And then we ease into, let's find a thing that you can do to bring value to somebody else's life that they're willing to pay for and then the entrepreneurship part. So we're teaching, we're helping some nonprofits around here uh, that are dealing with a demographic or a similar demographic, people that came maybe from a bad relationship or people that are coming off addiction that are ready to start their life over and they're in kind of a bad place financially, and but they, they want help and they're ready to go. So you know, you learn that there's a lot of prisons. It's not just the one with the walls. People get in bad relationships, and that can be a prison. Addiction can be a prison. Uh, and But everybody hopefully gets a release date. And when they do, you want to be standing there with them and say, okay, let's try this. Let's do something a little different. You know, Let's give you some guidance. And like you said, encouragement is probably 80% of it. No you question. Know, it's so who funds the... Who funds your program? I mean, obviously, the people coming out of addictions and out of prison and stuff, they're not really in a position to pay much, even though they need the help. So who is it that funds the programs? I pay 100%. I rent the room. We have sandwiches, drinks. So I got T-shirts, giveaways. We do trade shows. We've never charged anybody anything, but uh, the money is its a small token of repayment to me. So, so far we've never charged anybody and I've flipped the bill for everything we do, but that's a, that's a privilege. Uh, I look at it. So, as... so you, you, because of your successful stuff, you have now adopted essentially a mission to be the purveyor of hope and skills for these people in various categories who have had whatever struggles they've had, and you're going to give them the, the attention, the encouragement, the love, the space to learn a new thing and launch a new life. That's the plan. I mean, it's, it's time well spent, you know, uh, and, and I realize that every, we have short period of time on this earth. I just got your book, by the way. Oh, I have it. <laughs> 
I haven't read it yet, <laughs> but I can't wait to read it. Uh, it came in just yesterday. I haven't had a chance, but uh, I love it. And I want that. I'm excited about that because it is like when you realize that your time here is limited, who are you going to leave all your money to? Does it matter? I mean, do you, wouldn't you want to put this to work and help people rather than leave it to somebody who's probably going to ruin their life anyway because they don't know how to handle it? I mean, what better place to spend money? I can't even tell you how cool you are. You didn't get to tell me all this. I didn't. I mean that with all my heart. I I didn't know you were doing this on your own dime. I thought maybe there were some nonprofits or other funding sources that helped. And you're doing this on your own because you've decided to add good to the world. So, John, you're my poster guy for, <laughs> for doing this cool thing. I, I love it. Now, I have a question, and I mean sure. that sincerely. So... Uh, the ultimate life, the idea behind the podcast, and I also have an L.A. talk radio show and everything uh, to spread this message of possibility. And I define it as a life of purpose, prosperity and joy that we create by serving with our gifts and talents. So that's the whole thing. And you're, like I said, a poster, a poster boy for this thing. And I want you to tell me doing this thing, how does it make you feel? There's nothing more rewarding, honestly. I mean, making money, I loved it. I'm good at it. I, I learned from a very good teacher. Building a business, I love it. I'm, I'm good at it. I'm good with, you know, building people, getting people to do what I want them to do. Let's say persuasion. I loved all that. I spent 25 years doing it. I love the challenge of that. But at the end of the day, you're going home with seeing how much money you made that year, you know, and it's just numbers. Uh, money comes and goes, you know, no matter what you do, you know, you, things outside of your control are going to uh, affect how you do but if you can take somebody who is in a place in life where they're kind of at a crossroads and if you can give them a, a little bit of help and a lot of encouragement and get them to at least try to do something and break out of a cycle they're in and if you see them down the road later and you see that they've done that or at least tried that i mean you're you, there's no greater feeling in the world to me uh there's no bigger reward you know when we're gone the money's not going to matter the money will be gone your house will be gone Somebody told me one time, somebody's going to be living in your house. They're going to spend your money. Whatever possessions you have are going to be divvied up in this world. And it's like you were never here. But if you can take somebody and change their downside, downstream, excuse me, um, and how they're going to be able to provide for their families, well, now you've changed lives for generations. You know, And that's something that maybe you'll never get a thank you for even. Maybe you'll never even know you did it, which is probably the hardest thing I learned about teaching, is you can help people and never know. They walk out the door on the last day, and you don't know if they're going to apply any of this stuff. You hope they will, but it's rare you get that thank you. So you're just throwing it's it out It's rare you get it now. It's yeah, rare right. you get it in, in this context, in this frame. But Very true. We, whether we, I don't care what your religion or faith or thought or spirituality or lack thereof is, we all know somewhere inside that this is not a limited time engagement. There is something before and there's something after. And this little snapshot is what happens to be going on right now. That's perfectly said. Exactly. I mean, uh, what really matters at the end of the day, right? I mean, how you live your life, the people that you've affected, the people you've influenced, the people you've supported and helped, I mean, that's where the rewards come from. Um, you know, I, my mother was a minister at the Unity Church here, so I got a uh -huh. lot of that from her, you know, uh, sure. which is why I love your book. I can't wait to read it because... She was very much into the spiritual side of life and how helping people is going to come back to pay dividends later, that kind of thing. Uh, well, think so, about it this way. When we're born, we come with nothing. I mean, you're right. We have nothing that's right. at all. 
And when we leave, we're going to take nothing. That's and right. the only thing we're going to give back to God is what we've made out of ourselves. Uh, there That's you go. it. And so we You're were right. given gifts. We were given life. We all have gifts and talents that we came with. Everybody's different. And the only thing we're going to take back is our gift back is what we've made out of ourselves because nothing else is going with it. That's right. We're, we're, we're different than when we got here. That's right. You're, that's well said. I never thought of it that way, but you're exactly right. Well, that's the people our gift that we, back. That's it. Yeah, right. No, you know, when it. they talk about judgment in different religions and how that all works, I'm not even going to talk about, but yeah. what I know is you, nothing is going to even need to be said because you're going to be whoever you have made yourself to be. And in the presence of the divine, it's going to be blindingly obvious who you are. Yeah, no secrets, right? No secrets. And, End of uh, conversation. So not right. a word will need to be said. No attorneys present, right? I mean, we got you. This is it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be. it'll be just right clear. Well, John, I am just thrilled. How, so how do you, how many people go through your program in maybe a year or something? Uh, what we right now we're doing monthly classes. I've got us in. We're we're going to help a, two nonprofits this year. We've been doing this about three years, so it's taken us a couple of years to get our foothold in. We're going to start teaching at the library coming up uh, here in Charlotte, and we've got right now we're doing classes in, in a classroom that holds about twenty people. We do it once a month, and then we teach on the outside to different nonprofits. We'll do a one day here, or one hour, whatever they need uh, when they've got people that want to learn how to save for retirement or how important it is to save retirement, that kind of thing. So it's hard to say how many. Um, but we've got at least 15 students that come every month and we can see the progress that they're making slowly. So at least a lives. couple hundred in a year. I'd say, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. 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 So hopefully. I, I see on that stand behind your left shoulder, there's a book there. Oh. <laughs> is that, is <laughs> that your book? Yes, sir. Uh, I never planned to teach in prison, never planned to write a book. Um, but there it is. Um, when I, when COVID shut me down, I told, my dad's wife, I said, well, I know you love my prison stories, but it's over. I can't go back in there. And she said, why don't you write a book about your experience? And I said, there it is. That's what I'll do. And as you know, writing a book, it was a very rewarding experience. Um, basically, this tells the story of a guy like me wandering in a prison for the first time, not knowing what to expect, thinking that, you know, these are all convicted killers that are going to, you know, have a riot and stab me to realizing that these are the same people that, you know, I've come in contact with my whole life who just need a little help. So the goal of the book is not to sell books, is to get people to change their perspective and hopefully give somebody who's made a mistake a second chance. Uh, the name of the book is Lifeline to a Soul. Well, hold it if up. You, I, I okay. want to see it. I want everybody to see it. Okay. If Lifeline you go to our website, to a Soul. Yes, sir. Uh, if you go to our website, lifeline to a soul.com, there's a place you can leave your email address. It'll tell you all about our teaching program. Uh, if you leave your email address, I will get back to you. Uh, Mention Kellen, and I'll be happy to send you an autographed book at absolutely no cost. It'd be, I, be I wanted you to, because like I said, to start with, this is about spreading your work and your message. Right. I mean, my commitment to reach 250 million people isn't just about me and my stuff. It's about helping unbelievable people like you talk about, share the things that you're doing. How, how do we know? Somebody's going to hear this and say, well, if John can do that, maybe I can do this, whatever this is. I hope. And, and honestly, if somebody listened to this and said, you know, maybe when somebody comes in with a felony on their record for a job, maybe we shouldn't just throw that application in the trash. Maybe we should talk to them. 
and get to know how they got that. You know, why not give these guys a second chance at it? Because if you don't, I mean, these guys are all going to get out of prison someday. They're going to be living in your neighborhoods, whether you like it or not. If we sham, slam all the doors on them, they're going to go back to the only thing they know. And that's, that's a terrible waste. When I met plenty in there that, you know, we're ready to move forward. Uh, and the whole idea of entrepreneurship in prison is if you're doing, if you're starting your own business, then your felony record kind of goes away. You know, if you're doing a service for me, if you're out doing a cut in my yard, I don't care if you've been to prison. I'm not going to ask you, right? It's none of my business. Uh, but if I'm going to hire you, I'm going to check your record. And that's where I, I would hope that somebody would say, you know, here's a guy. He seems like a nice guy, but gee, he did some prison time. He's a loser. Don't you? Got to get that mindset out of the way. And hopefully if you read the book and I'm introducing you to these guys as I met them and realizing they're all different. They're not, you know, the prison paints them to be the same. They wear the same clothes. They, they're dressed by their number, not their name. You know, they're treated like, you know, robots, um, but they're not. They're all different people and some deserve a second chance very much. Uh, so if the book could do that to one or two people, that's even better than, than teaching. You know, that's, uh, again, uh, something that, Really, that's the whole reason I wrote it was to get people to maybe rethink somebody who's made a mistake. Should they pay for that for their whole life? Should we judge somebody by their worst day for the rest of their lives? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. No. And the answer categorically is we should not. And right. what you don't know about me is, yeah, in that book, Meeting God at the Door in 2018, which is just now coming up on six years ago this summer, I did. I contracted a fatal illness and died. And wrote about three conversations I had with God and a choice I made to come back. But what you don't know is 11 years before that, in 2007, I was at the end of a 30-year career and I was a, been in and out of rehab and I was a $3,000 a week cocaine addict and a, a whole bunch of other things. And mm -hmm. so some of the stuff that you're telling me, I'm thinking about how many times I smuggled drugs through the airport and on and on and on. Oh, yeah. And just tempting fate, right? Because yeah. you do that kind of stuff when you're silly. So yeah, my you do. Heart everybody's is, done it. Yeah. My heart is just warm toward everything you're doing. Lifeline to a soul.com. Yes, sir. Exactly. Lifeline to a soul.com. I love Go it. Go there. I it's Thank been a long time since I've been this excited <laughs> about the character, the mission. The heart of of somebody on the show. I absolutely am honored to be in your presence. Uh, believe me, it's all my honor, and that's why I love your podcast so much. You know, I've been listening to the current episodes, and I'm going back to the further. I mean, there's so many, but when you say oh, you want to teach people or convince people, I don't know how you say it, to do things that they don't think they can do. I say I when people ask me what I do, and I help people do things they don't believe they can do. There you go. That's exactly what I did. I couldn't have summed that up any better. That's exactly what, you know, uh, teaching in prison is. The reason I came up with Lifeline, because somebody asked me one time, well, tell me what it's like to teach in prison. That's what's that, what happens? I said, well, here's what it's like. I said, you got a guy who's in a position, he's very comfortable there, and he thinks this is normal. Uh, and you're throwing him a Lifeline, trying to save his life and get him out of there. Uh, I said, it's like throwing a Lifeline to a drowning man. The problem is, this guy doesn't think he's drowning. He thinks this is just pure normalcy. So he's looking at me like, "What? I'm fine. Why do I need to listen to you? But every once in a while, somebody would would see what I was saying and grab that li lifeline and try to change their life. And it became so rewarding because I basically had to tell them, you don't have to be here anymore if you don't want to be, right? This is your choice. We've got some other options for you. And that's what it was. I can You can do things that right now you can't see. 
you know, but you can get there. And so you said it perfectly. You said it better than I could have ever said it, but that's exactly what I was trying to do was tell them you can do this. You know, you probably don't see it right now, but you could walk out this door and start a business and, and be successful. I know you could, uh, but you get caught up in that and not just prison, but you get caught up in that day to day to day. And, and you feel like I'm in a good place. I'm just not going to, not going to risk it. And well, uh, I love say, it. I yeah, can't well, thank you enough for the work you're doing. My, I'm just melted in gratitude <laughs> because you've chosen to do that. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Can't believe me. And I appreciate you giving me a voice here. Uh, and it's been so good to get to, to know you through the podcast. And I can't wait, like I say, to read your book. I'm, it's next on my list. I'll probably read it in two days because once I get going, I'm going to just want to see how that where that goes. All right. Well, John, thank you. Thank you for all that thank you're you. sharing. Thank you for what you're doing. And thanks for being a guest here. Totally my pleasure, Count. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to hearing the rest of your shows. Keep doing your good work. Thank you. All right. I want you listeners, take pay attention here. Uh, and I mean it when I say I've had somebody on like this with this much heart, this much giving, funding it all himself, giving back just because he can, because he recognizes that he's not going to take it with him anyway. This is the core of creating a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy created with your gifts, talents, and life experience. If you choose to listen, to follow the example, get the help that's available, you can create your ultimate life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.